Let's get started with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' holy name, I thank you and praise you that you sent your Son among us to be the great high priest who mediates your saving love and eternal steadfastness to us and who brings us and all of our poverty and brokenness, all of the slavery to sin and its consequences, brings it to you in a purified and freed form. Thank you, Father, for communicating your spirit to us through your Son, this great high priest. And thank you for receiving from the hands of that great high priest, our one intercessor with you, our very lives, all that we are, all that we have, all of our gratitude, all of our love. Thank you, Father, for Jesus the priest. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, do you get a sense that today we're going to talk about the priesthood? And we do so in a context. Again, if you've missed the last two programs, quick summary. For those of you who have listened to the last two programs, um, it's not bad to hear these concepts again so they sink more deeply into you. The more they take root, the more they can give birth to that way of seeing life relating to it and living it that is traced back to a beautiful Catholic way um, of life that St. John Paul II fostered in his teachings and writings. And so St. John Paul II, living in Poland the way he did, saw the power and importance of culture. The Polish people had a deep Catholic culture expressed in the way they lived their lives and their families in their parishes and in their communities, and were able to resist maybe better than any other country that had been overrun by communism, the, um, the poisonous effects, the undermining effects of communism. For as you know, this, uh, the, the movement, the solidarity movement, that was in so many ways the seeds of the unraveling of the communist uh, empire, uh, began in Poland. And St. John Paul II reflects on this as he connected it to the culture that existed among the people of Poland. And so uh, in the last two programs, I've been talking about the importance of culture, fostering it in our home. And you know, if you listen to Kerry and me talk, that that's something that we put great emphasis on in these programs, because we know the battle, how difficult and how challenging it is more now than ever in, uh, in the last at least 50 years, the enormity, severity, intensity of the challenges that will come against you raising kids to be Catholic and to be able to survive and thrive through them all. And they come out the other side as 25-year-olds or post-college living their faith with joy and enthusiastically pursuing God's will for their lives as Catholic Christian disciples. That is so rare. It's exceptional. And we want to fight back against that. And so not only in order for us to do this ought we to foster faith in our homes, but we need a parish, and I'm going to link that to educational settings, that will be formed in faith, that will have a culture in the parish itself that corresponds to and enhances what we're doing in our homes, right? So I've been talking about that the last um, couple of days and, and highlighting how um, Carrie and I found that. Um, at St. Joan of Arc in Post Falls. And the difference that that makes is enormous. And the emphasis I've placed is not on the traditional Latin Mass. I've talked about that, and, and certainly there are, there are elements there. But I'm talking about it in these last two days, and now in this day, building off of that upon the people, the community, the community that's there provides this density of belief, a commonality of conviction and um, serious engagement in living the faith that leads to generous, heroic efforts in these other homes so that now our kids are hanging around with kids that come from families who have that same mindset that we do so that they were no longer extreme. Okay, so I'm saying to you that you... Uh, find a parish where there's that density of families who walk that same kind of intentional, 
determined, serious, even heroic efforts to foster faith as the center of your own identity. That's where you get that spirit, that unspoken spirit in ideals. And the reality is, in typical Catholic parishes, that doesn't exist. Not, not like this. It doesn't exist to that same degree, because you just don't have that same density of participation by families. Okay, so today on the program, I want to talk about one of the factors— it may not be the biggest one, right? Because yesterday towards the end of the program, I was talking about culture and how the culture that we're living in at the societal level, right? I've been using this analogy or this metaphor of a, of a target, like that you shoot bow and arrows at. And so you've got the center of the bullseye, then you've got the inner ring and the outer ring. And this is the, the culture target. The center is your family. That's where it all is going to be traced back to. But then the inner ring is going to be the culture that comes from your church, your parish. And then the outer ring is the culture that's connected with our society. And clearly today we live in a time where the culture that is present most dominantly in society, in the towns and cities in which most of you are living, that runs counter to the culture that you are experiencing in your parishes and most profoundly experiencing in your own homes. And that's where it's so difficult to raise our kids in faith. So today, in my focus on, again, on that inner ring, on the parish life, I'm going to raise the question of the priesthood and priests and how priests have such an important part to play in helping foster culture in their parishes. Priests play an enormous role in fostering culture in their parishes. Again, what are the unspoken ideals? What are the unspoken, what's the spirit and atmosphere present uh, in the community, at Mass, and in the very way that the parish lives her life? And in the case of schools, how the parish schools are operating as well. Now, first, important few disclosures. If you have never had um, or experienced the deep impact that a priest can have on your own life or on your family's life, that's a tremendous sadness. That is a tremendous sadness. I have had uh, just a number of priests fundamentally impact my life profoundly impact my life that I am so grateful to God for the priesthood. I think of Father Joe Riley, the pastor at St. Malachy's in Burlington, who was there when I knocked on the door of the rectory as an 18-year-old, troubled, conflicted, because my Catholic faith got challenged by a couple of my older brother's friends who grew up in Catholic families but were not practicing their faith and had both become fundamentalists, one a Pentecostal and one an anti-Catholic fundamentalist, and both came back to us in the same summer after my first year of college, challenging me that being Catholic was not Christian and being Catholic would lead me to end up in hell. And they quoted the scriptures and they both talked with this sense of enthusiasm about Jesus and with a sense of personal connection and relationship to Jesus that, again, was just foreign to me, having grown up in a very conservative, very traditional Catholic home. I did not know how to quote the scriptures. I did not know what they were talking about when it came to personal relationship with Jesus. Thanks be to God for Father Joe Riley, who was both able to help me understand the scriptures in a Catholic way, to be able to answer their questions, and sparked in me a love and a devotion to the scriptures and helped me to connect what these guys were telling me in language of personal relationship with Jesus with something that I could discover, encounter, and go into a depth that was beyond anything that these other guys were talking about by encountering the Lord Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. And so I've told that story a number of times through the years on Sound Insight. No need to go back to that. Another priest living with Father Joe at the time 
was a priest called Father Tom. And Father Tom uh, Carlton was a very devout Catholic priest, a great devotion to the Blessed Mother and to Catholic traditions. And he introduced me to a devotion and a love for the Blessed Mother, as well as a deep appreciation for the traditions of the church, the saints, the scapular, the brown scapular, uh, praying the rosary, and uh, going to confession. And I'd already shared, um, if you listened on Monday, I shared the story about uh, a priest that had that gift of reading hearts and how I had encountered that grace. It was Father Tom. And, um, and so he had a deep impact on my life. And I could go on from there. And, and by the way, Father Joe's impact on my life was way more than just he happened to be there when I knocked on the door. No, I knocked on the door asking for Father Joe because he came to our house. He visited us at our home. And we were super active in the parish because of the way Father Joe pastored St. Malachy's. He pastored it in a way that gave us a real sense of we're welcome here. We can be engaged here. We can contribute our gifts here. And I don't know, it was just, it was a, it was a very natural thing for me growing up as I did in the seventies there in Burlington, Massachusetts. Again, pretty much everybody was Catholic. And so all my neighborhood friends were Catholic. It was just a different environment. But here I want to highlight the power and importance of priests and then Entering the seminary, obviously it was around priests. You've heard me talk about the impact they've had. Leaving the seminary, working for the church, Father Mark Montmany, incredibly deep impact on my life, on my life of faith, on my life in ministry, and on the direction that I took. Father Tom Forrest, uh, the priest who, uh, at Evangelization 2000, gave me an opportunity to have the widest level of influence around like living my life of faith. So, just to say... Priests have been so important to me. Oh, by the way, I spent five years in the seminary. And so many of my dear friends are priests whom I've supported with my uh, you know, prayers and my care and, and my contact and communication down through the years um, that they would be flourished and they would flourish and be supported and encouraged by me in their priesthood. So let me just say, I... Here's what I believe. I believe that the priesthood is the most exalted work, the most exalted vocation that anyone on earth ever receives the privilege to be invited to. There is no greater calling on earth than to be a priest. If you just ponder for a moment what a priest is invited into. A priest is invited into a sacramental union with Jesus, Christ the high priest, a particular conforming, transfiguring, ontologically changing communion, means touches him at the very level of his being, that will last forever. Who knows the eternal implications of being ordained a priest in time on earth, but on earth, that sacramental union that brings someone into that kind of configuration with Jesus Christ is a, is a calling that is, like, it's staggering. For that priest is being called by Jesus and used by Jesus to continue to operate on earth his profound work of redeeming the world, his profound work of coming close to this moment in history, his profound work of reconciling sinners who have left him and union with God and are destined for hell apart from this beckoning call back into confession. Christ uses priests to become present on earth in the Eucharist. Just ponder that. So, for my part, priests are invited into a call that is 
just astonishing and have a role to play in our lives that is absolutely critical. And so everything that I share in the, in the remaining part, you got to listen to this part first because this is at the foundation. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. And so in this first part of the program, I was talking about fostering culture in the parish and how that is such a critical part today to support, complement, supplement, um, and to help parents fulfill their primary obligation of raising kids in faith that we have a desperate need to find in our parishes a source of support, encouragement, and accountability. In the previous couple of programs, I've been focused in on the role of the, the community, other families, so that your family will feel like, oh, we're not alone in this, but we're walking this path together, right? Um, I even have to up my game. And remember, that spirit of faith in the community, among the other families that are there, is something that will enhance, it'll nurture, it'll foster in you a desire to, um, well, call it up your game, right? You want to be at your best. You'll want to be prayerful. You'll want to um, let that carry forward outside of the parish, especially when you're able to find fellowship, right, with other families. And the kids that are there will find fellowship with other families. Okay, today I'm focusing in on the role of the priest in helping make that happen. And so I'm going to begin with um, a mark that is, or a statement that is, um, it's a bit strong, but I think it's true to a large extent. Um, and it's this. Um, show me a parish, and I'm a parish, a typical parish, so Novus Ordo parish, typical diocesan parish, that has a lot of things going, that has... Uh, uh, and that have a number of, like, that have many um, activities, initiatives, uh, a staff that is engaged and, and uh, uh, very capable and uh, moving many things forward, right? Uh, it, when you have a, when you have a, 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 an active, engaged, vibrant Novus Ordo parish, I want to say almost without exception, if not without exception, it's because you have a, I want to say, an extraordinary priest. I could have used the word charismatic priest, but I think that would have been misunderstood. When I say extraordinary, I mean extremely gifted, an extremely gifted priest. And, and sometimes that extreme gifting is, is just their persona, their personality, how they show up, very natural giftings where they are just really good natural leaders. People will follow them. They know how to gather a group. Uh, they know how to uh, be persuasive in how they talk. Um, and, and, and so a lot of it would be just say, let's say, very strong natural giftings to be a leader. In, in front of a, a group of people. And so that translated into them doing a really good job in terms of gathering folks at a parish. Now, um, more often, it, this, this gifting, this charismatic, this extraordinary gifting is associated as well with holiness, with a pursuit of holiness, with a desire for holiness that is being... Um, uh, lived by that priest. And so it's clear that the priest enjoys being a priest, enjoys being a priest in accord with the real essence of the priesthood, which is it's a sacrament of service. It's a sacrament at the service of others. It's a sacrament that calls forth the giving of one's life for one's people. My time, attention, and energy is given over so that my people will come alive in faith and that my governing, teaching, and sanctifying them as a priest is going to be associated with their um, coming alive in faith, right? So that would be the words of the priest. And so it is really almost without exception that if you have an active parish with many families that are um, flourishing in faith and that sense of a culture of faith is there, it's because of the personality and the gifting and often the holiness of the priest. 
And so uh, that, that's just true. It's just true. I, I can't think of a, a parish in all of my 30 years of ministry where the priest, the pastor, and pre, or any priests that are there are, let's just say, ordinary, like not really outstanding as preachers, as leaders, as teachers, as um, having strong giftings, that let's just call that priest a, a, an ordinary priest. That ordinary priest is not typically like standing in front of an extraordinary parish. It just doesn't happen. And in fact, uh, and this is, this is me 30 years in ministry working with, I don't know how many dioceses, priests, parishes, speaking at priest retreats, conferences, priest gatherings. It's just, it would be ex- extremely rare. Probably, in fact, it would be the case that there was a very, very like strongly gifted, anointed priest who was there and got transferred and then the other new pastor came in and is sort of benefiting from the charism of the previous priest but often often what happens uh, this again is very typical that in a diocesan parish where you have a gifted priest in that way very holy or very gifted naturally supernaturally both that um that people will gather, people will crowd around, people will come. And then when that priest gets transferred, the people will go. The people will often follow that priest unless someone else gets put in who has a sufficient amount of gifting to keep the parish together and keep them going. So that's one of the things that certain commentators have pointed out about uh, traditional Latin mass parishes so that would be FSSP parishes versus, and, 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 and in some ways, the, F, the traditional Latin Mass versus the Novus Ordo Mass, right? The, the typical Mass in English that, again, most of you are accustomed to attending is that a lot of what happens to get people there, to keep people engaged, and to foster in them deeper faith is that it's the personality of the pastor, supernaturalized through giftings and all of that, right? But it's the personality of the pastor. And you can see how that's intimately connected to the ritual itself, right? When you have the Novus Ordo Mass, when you have the typical Mass in English, right? The personality of the pastor is front and center, greeting the people, leading the prayers, how that priest presides in a particular way, and then how that priest preaches as well. And so, by contrast, at the traditional Latin Mass parish, like the FSSP parish we attend in in, um, Post Falls, the Mass attendance and the faith as it connects to the priest in that parish, the priest has presider, not as homilist, but the priest as presider, the personality of the priest is absent as a factor. Really, take away the homily, and the personality of the priest is is, uh, subsumed, is immersed in, is obscured by the ritual itself. And so it's the manner of the ritual that becomes manifest and communicates and calls forth something from the, uh, from the assembly, the congregation, right? The people that are there at Mass. And, and that's a different thing. It's a different thing. However, the, um, the way in which the FSSP priests have been formed, it's really without question in a more traditional mode. The manuals that they learned from, um, at least in the, 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 the books that, that were used in, in their formation, the, it shows up in how they teach. It shows up in the content of their teaching. Uh, it shows up in the content of the, the manner of their giving homilies. There's just some real, 
like fundamental differences. So for instance, um, I know that um, priests, diocesan priests are, are taught that homilies are really not the proper moment for in-depth catechesis. It's really not the place to be doing teaching about teachings of the church and addressing like topics and themes in their homilies. They are really meant to be more reflections on the scriptures that are present that day at Mass. So the liturgical homily is less a teaching and more uh, a scriptural reflection that unpacks the good news as it has been served up by the church in this three-year cycle of Sunday readings and the two-year cycle of the daily readings. And so uh, there is much less emphasis being placed on like specific catechetical formation and direction uh, given at Mass. So that's one real difference. Now, with that said, you'll see that this is like a Venn diagram, right? By that I mean, of course, the teaching, like, so you'll find a lot of teaching at uh, traditional Latin Mass parishes. The homilies are without question teachings. They are catechetical. They are uh, they give pastoral direction. Um, they offer very uh, clean, clear teachings. Things that I would I was more accustomed to hearing at conferences and courses uh, and workshops and and things like that offered at the parish or at special events. Um, you know, special evenings of instruction and things like that. Um, no, those happen in the homily. Those happen in the homily. So homilies are longer, and they, they're less concerned about how long they are. They're more concerned about making sure that the teaching is given. But the theme that might have been chosen for the teaching is often connected to the, um, the scriptures of the day. So there is a tracing back to the scriptures of the day often, but it's definitely uh, a time for teaching, a time for catechesis at the traditional Latin Mass. Um, in the Novus Ordo, the typical experience is that it's a liturgical unfolding of what's happening in the scriptures. However, there is that moment of application. And so in that moment of application into the lives of those who are there, of course, there are elements of teaching that show up. There are elements of direction that show up. But there, it tends to be a lot of sort of exhort, exhortation to see how what, what happened in the scriptures is applicable to today, and we ought to receive that application, whether it is a consoling message or a challenging message. So that's, again, just another difference that you'll see in terms of some of the formation that the priests have. So the big thing you can ask is, well, so what? Like, what's that big deal? Right. So remember now, we're trying to foster faith in our family. That's the culture we're forming there. And then if we do that well, we're going to look to our parish to help to have that same spirit and ideals, the same culture that's there. And I mentioned, I've been mentioning the importance of the community that gathers, but the importance of the priest leading that community is also critical. So I'm going to go back to last Sunday Mass, 8.45 in the morning, priest gets up to give the homily. His name's Father Flick. And these aren't quotes from him, but th these are the themes that he highlighted that were, like, frankly, just, they would be considered extraordinary or even astonishing if you were to hear them in your typical Novus Ordo parish, but are considered standard and, stand, uh, like, yeah, typical, not extraordinary, but no, the kind of teaching, the kind of homilies that we receive. So there was a reflection on the way in which we as a church are facing this COVID crisis regarding the emphasis on are you getting vaccinated or not versus, are you, and, and the underlying, like, concept is like aren't you scared about dying 
And, and so death becomes like the ultimate uh, context in which decisions are being made in terms of laws and policies in this country. But he raised a really interesting question. How often do you hear um, political leaders placing the context for their decisions in the light of eternity, in the light of what's really at stake for every human life isn't whether or not you're going to die from COVID. Because whether or not you die from COVID, guess what? You're going to die someday. So the bigger question is, what happens when you die? Where do you go when you die? What's really at stake in all of this is, are we prepared to die well, to be in a like a, a place of readiness and, and not caught off guard, be prepared to not just live well, but to die well, because in the end, what ultimately matters is our ultimate destiny, the call we have to live with God forever in heaven. But what's at stake is heaven and hell. Now, honestly, you tell me, how often do you hear that in your homilies at a typical Novus Ordo parish? You just don't. You just don't hear priests talking about, look, what's at stake in your life is heaven and hell, and I want heaven for you. So please decide well how you're going to live today. I'll continue this reflection on the priesthood in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Uh, today I'm talking about the priesthood and how critical I believe the priesthood is for us to um, find a support and an encouragement and a source of accountability to raise our kids in faith in our homes. Fostering that culture of faith in our homes requires a parish that will also foster that faith. And in the last couple of programs, I've been emphasizing the role that the community plays of finding other families that are like-minded and striving to live according to the same ideals that fosters that spirit and atmosphere of faith in the, in the parish. But what often will bring about that kind of gathering of families in a parish um, is the priest. And in the Novus Ordo parishes, it's almost always because of a particularly anointed, holy, gifted priest who is um, pastoring that parish. Um, and I want to contrast that with the, um, the way in which in traditional Latin Mass parishes, it's less about the priests. And yet the priests also play a critical role. And the way that I see the difference in my own experience over these last two years is that um, FSSP priests, priestly fraternity priests, are more likely to emphasize traditional Catholic teachings in their homilies and bring those teachings out with a directness that is very refreshing. And so just last Sunday, reflecting on the homily of Father Flick, who brought to bear traditional church teaching on very present and pressing matters today, like the craziness of what's been happening in our world over the last 18 months in terms of some of the way in which laws and policies are being enacted that will emphasize the, um, the, the purported health benefits of lockdowns and distancing and mask wearing and vaccinations and, and a variety of other protocols Right? I'm not here to evaluate them and talk about them, but the way in which those are implemented, not just outside the church, but in the church, without seemingly a solicitude, a pressing concern for the ultimate spiritual well-being of the souls of those whom they are called upon to pastor. And so the lack of availability in so many parishes of confession, the lack of availability in so many parishes of mass, of being able to attend mass, of making efforts, serious efforts, any kind of creative, even heroic efforts, to be able to be present to their people in a priestly way. 
any kind of serious efforts to push back against restrictive laws and policies that somehow permitted marijuana shops and uh, grocery stores and department stores to remain open with certain numbers and capacities that were broader than the capacities being made available to churches. And then the gymnastics required in some dioceses because of some bishops' decisions to say, well, we're going to abide by the governor's rule about no giving out communion during the service by cleverly saying, let's finish the service and give out communion at the doors of the church. And what a sadness that is. You know, why wouldn't we have more, I don't know, courage or conviction to, to push back, right? And to say, um, no, we are faithful citizens. We will do what is appropriate um, as citizens, but we are, first of all, children of God, citizens of heaven. And uh, while rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's, we will also render unto God what is God's. So whether that is, in particular, being available to hear confessions to reconcile people to God, right? As well as to anoint the sick, you know, especially in this COVID time, like, isn't that the biggest thing that's at stake is helping the faithful be ready to meet their maker, ready to um, encounter their final moment of judgment upon, upon which eternity rests, right? So, so really, like this, this raises a bigger question, and that is um, the, the necessity, are we praying for our priests is the question. Are we praying for them to be the spiritual leaders that the Lord intends them to be? Right? So our bishops and our priests are called to govern, teach, and sanctify. Govern, teach, and sanctify. And that's priest, prophet, and king. Right? Priest, prophet, and king. Prophet, they speak the truth. Priest, they are spiritually providing for us. And, um, and as, as kings, they govern through a servant leadership. They pour out their lives uh, in service, not ruling over us in, in a way that's domineering but ensuring that we stay on the path. Ensuring that we stay on the path. Now, wouldn't that be a gift, right? So that means if we're wandering off the path, then we can expect that they will correct us. And so um, just another uh, really like beautiful and powerful thing that we experience um, so regularly at our parish is challenging messages to conform our lives to Christ and not to the culture. Sorry, sorry, not to the culture, to the society we're living in and the culture that it's promoting. And so this brings me to like a question that, you know, we can just wonder about or ponder and just say, why aren't we finding that there are more priests and bishops who are willing to live our Catholic culture in an outward direction towards society in a way that challenges it, as compared to a way that we, as a church living in America, finds ourselves caving in, find ourselves uh, compromising with our own beliefs, as compared to what society is saying to us is, in fact, the way that you ought to live, right? So in this moment in the program, I'm going to be shifting from the call we have to foster this Catholic culture, something that John Paul II talked about in our homes. And the way that we do that as our family, in a family, is that we move into the level of the parish at the level of the parish, we have other families who are there who are going to help foster and nurture and grow that same kind of spiritual ideal 
uh, achieve that, foster that atmosphere in our parishes. But that requires pastors and priests who will govern, teach, and sanctify us in a way that enables us to then towards outward, uh, go outwards into the world and face society, a society that is clearly has clearly moved in a direction away from what it is we as Catholics would promote uh, in our own Catholic culture in our homes. And so too often today we find ourselves with like, where are the voices in the church from our leaders that are pushing back and making an argument saying gender ideology is dark and dangerous and it's going to disturb the peaceful understanding of sexuality and sexual identity that is present among your kids, that is present uh, in your teenagers, that is going to lead to confusion about sexual identity uh, in our young adults and even into, uh, you know, even into people that are older. And, and put forward an argument against that that is clear and compelling and rooted in something that's beautifully scriptural and very traditional. It's, it's perennial. God made us male and female. God made us male and female. And, and you know, I say one line from scripture, but there's a whole anthropology, a whole way of understanding what it means to be a human being created by God, male and female, and what that looks like in terms of relationships, what that looks like in terms of the development of an awareness of one's own sexual identity, an awareness of one's own experience of their own feelings within them. And as they grow and develop through ages and stages, how we help our kids navigate those things. The church has such a rich teaching, a rich inheritance. But if we don't hand it on, if we don't stand up and present it with confidence, if we don't like uphold it and say, you know what, this is a beautiful thing and I'm not ashamed of it. If we can't find that happening among our leaders, our priests and bishops, then what is the laity going to do? More on this in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. So in the last part of this program, I'm going to trace back some of the reticence or hesitancy or let's just call it an insufficient degree of convicted, courageous, complete teaching of the presentation of the teaching of the Catholic Church in our parishes by our priests or by our bishops to stand against the aberrations and the um, diabolically disorienting ways in which things like comprehensive sexuality education and some of its curricula, as well as uh, other different streams and strands of gender ideology that are present in our society today. So some of the dominant cultural expressions that are taking front and center stage in movies, TV shows, in videos, on social media platforms and streaming platforms are so present um, and so uh, pervasive and so intimidating and cleverly, uh, beautifully presented that it leads to such confusion and damage and destruction. And then the the further tragedy is that that culture, which is anti-Catholic and anti-Christian, anti-gospel and diabolically disorienting for our young people, that where's the sufficient defense? Where's the battle that our, our leaders, our bishops and priests, ought to be making? Like, the more serious there is, the more something is at stake, the more we ought to be battling against it. Big questions arise, like, why isn't that happening? Like, where is that clear, strong voice? And you've heard me talk about this in the last few years, because it's been in the last few years that it was really the very, very disturbing sort of scales falling from the eyes that happened for me regarding um, what I have come to expect with regards to strong, courageous, convicted com uh, teach, uh, presentation of the complete teaching of the Catholic Church on these matters. I just don't expect to hear it 
with few exceptions, right? With those rare and few exceptions. And it's those places where those rare and few exceptions are happening where you'll either find an extraordinary, almost heroic diocesan priest or a typical traditional Latin mass priest, a typical FSSP priest, uh, you'll find that it's just not even an issue for the priests that I'm around now at, um, at, at St. Joan, where this is just how they're going to preach. It's just going to be clear. Um, but then I'm grateful to God for priests like Father Lewis and Father Nagel that you get to hear on Sound Insight, and then other priests that I'm aware of that are not afraid to take these issues on head on, head on. And so, you know, what a gift, what a blessing that they are, but it's too rare, right? Too few of the laity get a presentation that is going to support them in saying, well, how do I teach my kids? And how do I push back against stuff that I'm hearing, even in my Catholic schools? What do I do when, when my pastor says things that are confusing um, and don't seem to like align very clearly with the fullness of the church's teaching, but maybe cleverly only present one little theme or strand that somehow attempts to conform to the diabolically disorienting teachings that are manifest in our culture, in our society today, in one and that you know diabolically disorienting culture that's so prominent today. And it, it seems to have come out into the open that a lot of this traced back to the seminary. Diocesan seminaries uh, have, in the last 40 or 50 years, fallen short in many significant ways around forming seminarians to be pure, modest, chaste, to exercise self-control, to understand celibacy, to understand the reality of things like the theology of the body, uh, to understand or even be presented with an understanding of psychosexual dynamics and and the, uh, the one of the biggest um, factors has to do with the presence of um, men in the seminary who are attracted to having sex with men. That uh, same-sex attracted men and other men who uh, end up uh, choosing to have sex with men was just far too common in the seminary when I was there and at a level and a degree that I didn't find out about until like my final year there and then after the fact from other seminarians who eventually well became priests or who left and then as a result of my talking about this um, uh, on uh, social media platforms with Professor Janet Smith or mentioning to them here they got in touch with me and said, Tom, you have no idea. Tom, actually, it was, uh, it was a lot more. It was worse um, than, than you imagine. Um, and so just to realize that, wow, if we end up having you know, a number of priests, seminarians at the time, who were same-sex attracted and acted out on it in the seminary, um, and did so not like simply falling into sin, but jumping into sin, not just falling into sin out of weakness and saying, I'm going to repent and I'm going to get my life in order and I'm going to learn to live chastely, but rather I'm going to find a way in my own mind to reconcile a lifestyle where I choose to commit a serious sin and at the same time can continue to pursue the priesthood and how this has just come out into the open as a reality that is um, you know, far too prevalent in too many seminaries over the past 30 and 40 and 50 years. And the degree to which that has impacted uh, not just priests, but chanceries, how that has impacted you know, the decision-making centers and uh, different important administrative offices in dioceses uh, rolling up all the way to the to the place of bishops in the country as well. Um, the, the sad reality of, um, of Theodore McCarrick, you know, stripped of uh, his own title of being um, a cardinal, archbishop, um, and, you know, now, you know, reduced to this lay state uh, and, and potentially now having lawsuits filed against him, uh, criminal 
suits uh, against him for uh, for abuse of of teenagers. But then you have um, this recent case of this Monsignor who held the highest position by a non-bishop in the country, the General Secretary of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. You're like, wait a minute, how does it happen that um, a priest in that role, that high a role, could be that active on a sex hookup act, uh, app for um, gay men. So here he is with all of these instances, seemingly, I don't know how many dozens or I've heard hundreds. I, I, don't, I haven't seen the data, um, but hearing the reports about his use of this over the course of several years and the data collected, um, and the fact that this hasn't been like talked about more and addressed more, and, and the only voices that seem to come out among the hierarchy about this or among priests is uh, it was inappropriate to get data about his profile uh, to be mined and used versus, no, this is a horror, and how did this happen, and let's figure out uh, how did he ever end up in that kind of role? Not to mention, how did he fulfill that role in a way that was considered professional and authentic, and yet at the same time be living this radically other lifestyle? And then who has raised the fact that just a handful of years before, he spent four years at the North American College in a significant leadership role? Like, wait a minute. Do you think that there was like this this lifestyle that he was living uh, ostentatiously, uh, you know, or in in this, tr- you know, in this tragic way in the last handful of years, like it just emerged that this this doesn't have anything to do, or does it have anything to do with his being selected to be at the North American College, with what he was doing there, or at other points in his career, right? It's like, and, and is he the only one, right? So. When these kind of things happen and how they're responded to and related to or not is very telling. And I think it goes a long way to point to the reason why our culture, remember now that word culture, the spirit and ideals and the atmosphere that's present in a parish or in a diocese is intimately related to the holiness of life of the bishops and priests and the courageous willingness to battle against sin, to battle for chastity that is present among the clergy. And so I want to end where I began, and that is that priests are intended by God to have significant, impactful, life-changing involvements in the lives of the faithful on the path to holiness, to help us to get to heaven, and not by having impacts through omissions or through sinful uh, involvements that damage and, and even undermine the very Catholic faith that we are called to live and promote in the world. Well, I'm up against the end of my program. I hope and pray that these sets of programs have been a blessing to you. Tomorrow, I'll be back with Carrie on Sound Insight. God bless your day.